All right, we're on to part two of our episode on practice because, well, we got cut off in the middle of a sentence last time. I I, I reviewed the audio and uh, it was a little over 34 minutes and you had just perfectly finished up your sentence and then it stopped. So if there's a rest of a thought you wanted to make, make uh, I'd say make it now. No, if I got it all out, then we're good because I was just finishing up. I didn't realize it caught the whole thing. Yeah, go, going to other clubs, um, that's something that we really encourage. It's not just going to shoot register tournaments, but uh, a lot of guys will use a certain tree or a rock in the distance for their whole point. Maybe the, the uh, distance stakes for their club for one of their fields is off, and then they go to a different facility entirely or maybe even a different field, and it can throw off their game. Um, their machines might be a little old, or a little bit new, they go somewhere else, and it's the opposite. Um, even if everyone claims, oh, they landed right at the distance stake, the targets will feel completely different at a different facility. Not only that, but depending on where you are in the country, if you're at a high elevation versus a low elevation, well, if you're somewhere where there's a lot more humidity, I think, I don't they have to uh, spring the targets a little bit more to get through that uh, aerodynamic resistance versus where we are at higher elevations in Arizona and Utah, where the air is thinner, so it doesn't take as much. What, what do you think about that? I heard that, but I really don't think it's yeah. valid. Yeah. It's, it's going to be roughly the same speed as it. It's just you. It's what you feel with how the targets are. It's, a lot of it's just in your your own head, and the way to cure that is by experience and actually going out there to a different club, to a different state, and shooting. Yeah, and the more you practice at different places, the easier it'll be for you to adapt. The real challenge is not necessarily shooting on a different field because you know, the fields are pretty much interchangeable. You can shoot on any of them. It's learning to adapt to that background, the different presentation of targets. The different speeds there's a targets are thrown in a range of speeds so some of them might seem oh my god why is, is this thing even moving and others you're going to be like how the hell did that get all the way over there already i just called pull yeah so there are a few other topics um in some of our request emails one of them in addition to practice it um the usual advice of just look at the target whenever you hear that advice. If someone misses, if they're a novice, they miss a target, a uh, medium to advanced level uh, ski shooter will say, well, just look at the target. Well, there's a lot more to that. Yeah. Um, I've never, like, I understand that you're supposed to look at the target, but I've never actually told anybody that aside from, you know, discussing how, because the reality is, it's not just look at the target. Matt and I were joking about this before. Oh, my gun's not even together. Well, oh, just look at the target. And you'll hit it next yeah. time. <laughs> but it's more how you look at the target. So what we need to discuss and talk about here is how to look at it when you're in practice and in a tournament. Because what you do in practice carries over to the tournaments, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And we, we've all heard the saying of just look at the target. And they are absolutely right keeping your eyes on that flying piece of clay is the most important thing in our game but but it's not the only thing 
I remember when I had problems years ago with whatever target I'd hear, just look at the target. And thinking back, it communicates to me that either those giving the advice neglect to communicate everything, it's just passing advice, or they might not fully understand it themselves. So what, what I'm getting at here is, for example, instead of telling a novice or a shooter who just had a bad round to just look at the target, how many of them are, how few of them have told them to say, hey, correctly establish a foot position, a whole point, your look point, catching that flash in your soft focus periphery. And as that signal, as you see that flash, you begin to move, target merges, you feel it into your gun so you, that your match speed, and you pull the trigger when your hard focus locked on that orange disc and, uh, when it becomes a clearly defined clay target in your vision at a break point that allows you your eyes to shift to the second target for a double before your gun moves to it. Um, somewhere in that giant word vomit is something that someone did not execute properly or in the right order and it prevented them from breaking it. But instead you just hear, well, just look at the target. Um, the guy was new is he was on station four. His gun was pointing right at the window. He didn't have a good hole point. Well, just look at the target. Um, his eyes was skipping back and forth between the target and the gun, like you used to say. Well, just look at the target. Um, his his body isn't aligned correctly. Well, just look at the target. Um, I drove 11 hours to a shoot. I got four hours of sleep, and I'm hopped up on Red Bull Mountain Dew, and I didn't eat properly. Well, just look at the target. Um, my gun's not even put together. I'm still in the parking lot. Well, just look at the target. You, you see where this advice can fall a little short. Sorry, Victoria, I didn't mean to make a short joke. That's all right. Yeah, the idea behind just look at the target is once you're set up correctly, that's really all you should have to do. However, you have to get set up, so you have to have the right feet. Otherwise, you won't be able to make a good smooth move. You have to have the right hold point and look point. Otherwise, you won't take off at the right time. You won't even be able to see the target to look at it. Uh, so, really, it, it is about looking at the target, but it's also about getting set up so that it's easy to look at the target. The target seems like it's blowing past you at 100 miles an hour, and you're not going to be able to just, just look at it. But if it feels kind of like you're in control of your shooting, and it comes out, and you're like, hey, there's a target there it's suddenly so much easier to just look at it. And that's really all you have to do. So it's all about the setup when you're shooting. Yeah. Another thing is uh, we did have some questions about uh, gear, equipment, and shells. And let me pull that out. Um, it was about the 410. And as we know, a lot of guys they might not be competition shooters. They are just casual shooters. They enjoy the sport of skeet shooting. They may be sporting clay shooters and they shoot a little bit of skeet for the different crossing and quartering presentations of dropping targets. So they practice on high one. They want to be quintessential crosser. So they shoot high and low four, uh, a deep quartering target. Well, there you go, high two and low six. But um, a lot of those guys, they're going to be shooting over and unders or autos, they're going to be inexpensive 12 gauge shells, your typical Walmart, Winchester, or Federal four pack ounce and a seven and a half shot, 1200 feet per second. 
um, basically your jawbreakers, your, your teeth rattler shells. But um, very few of them shoot um, a 20 or 410. Um, uh, a reason why I like the 410, even though I don't practice it and Victoria's going to get on me about that, is uh, I only shoot in registered competitions. For those who are used to shooting 12 gauge and ounce and eighth, but they may have a really hard time with the little gun, like more than 15 target penalty when they if they switch to it. Um, I'd recommend changing those who shoot a lot of 12 gauge, whether it's um, a lightweight field gun where you have, where you're experiencing lots of felt recoil uh, to, to some competition over under, just whip out tubes, um, just, just a lighter shell. If, if you can load three quarter ounce or seven eighths ounce shells with a reloader, which you can, uh, clay buster has the wads, just a lot of powders you can do reduced, uh, reduced powder drops. Um, they'll find that the biggest thing is that 12 gauge, it's really a crutch. And what I mean by that is what we're shooting, we always think of a pattern as something you see on a pattern board, a piece of cardboard, a piece of metal. It's this many inches wide, this many inches tall, but really what we're shooting is a shot cloud. So it's three-dimensional. It's got a head, got a tail. So think of it almost like a fish, um, whereas this 12-gauge ounce and knife load, it's like a very long prize bass. It's, good. it's You got the head, you got the tail fin, and you got a lot of meat in between, very long. Whereas 410, it is a little bit more narrow. It's not as wide if you see it on a pattern board, which I wouldn't recommend looking at for, for whatever reason. But it's the shot string itself is not as long, meaning if you wanted to compare it to a fish, you have a long prize fish compared to, say, uh, a goldfish, maybe you still have the head, you still have that tail fin, but you don't have as much in between. And it's not because, and that's the real thing with the 410 is that it's not how wide it is. It's how long the shot column is, the shot string is, the shot cloud is. That is a lot more detail than I feel qualified to talk about. I, um, I, I am, I shoot kind of whatever my mom hands me because as far as reloading goes, I got kicked out of reloading school <laughs> like six or seven times now. Uh, <laughs> she does all my reloading for me because anytime I touch a reloader, it breaks and I really don't know much about shotgun shells, to be honest with you. Yeah. So and, Matt is yeah. the expert here. <laughs> Um, I, I wouldn't say expert, but um, I, I've learned the hard way with the 410. And the reason why I bring this up is a lot of shooters, they're having, they're so used to having so much lead that their approach to a lot of targets uh, was off where they would break easy, quote unquote, easy targets most of the time, but the breaks themselves wouldn't be as solid. They'll break targets like uh, high six into four or five different pieces, which, hey, a break is a break. But if that same shooter had been throwing half of an ounce of, sh of lead compared to one ounce or one and eighth ounce, 
there's a good chance that they wouldn't have break it, broken it at all because a lot of guys, when they're not breaking the target as hard uh, with those heavier shells, what you don't realize is you're either breaking with the head or the tail end of that shot string, that shot cloud, that shot fish, as uh, that analogy I used earlier. They're not putting it in the center of the pattern compared to the guys or women who shoot 410 and they get a very solid break with it. They're putting it in the middle of the pattern, in the middle of that fish, in the middle of that cloud. That I could confirm. Um, I think breaking it in the middle, I'm sure you, you've got some sort of mechanical way to look at this. But in my opinion, it comes down to the confidence in the shells more than anything. Like if you're not confident in your shells, doesn't matter how good they are, you're not going to break targets with them. Yeah. And uh, the reason I, I typed out, I had this thought, I typed it out a few months ago. We were going to, I was going to include it in one of the earlier podcasts from last year on station six or seven. We just didn't have enough time. And it's great because we've gotten questions about equipment before and in practice. So I thought I'd include this. If you have the ability to, don't shoot one ounce 12 gauge if you only have 12 gauge. If you don't have a tube set, load seven eighths ounce 12 gauge shells. You can, there are recipes out there. Or even better, what I'd recommend is load three quarter ounce 12 gauge shells, which is the payload equivalent of 28 gauge shotgun shell. You're just shooting in 12 gauge. It'll be a very low pressure load, even if you have it loaded at 1300 feet per second. Um, Claybuster has wads for both seven eighths and three quarters. They're very inexpensive. You'll save a lot of powder and even more lead uh, loading these. And it, the crutch with 12 gauge is not just having that excessive amount of lead, but it can also really hurt you long-term because your move suffers because you are anticipating that brutal 12 gauge recoil. And unless you're shooting a gas auto that fits well, you are getting hit you are feeling that 12 gauge recoil. Um, everyone will say, oh, recoil doesn't bother me. And then I see them have a dud shell and you can't see this, but they're like, and the gun doesn't go off. They're anticipating that recoil. They're, they know they're going to they're gonna feel it. So if you want a, a strong recommendation, we would both say shoot seven eighths or three quarters. I say shoot three quarters. Yeah, it's still too much recoil for me. Yeah, um, these last several years I've been shooting three quarter ounce twenty gauge reloads, which is a twenty eight gauge in the form of a 12, 20 gauge shell. Reason for that is just safe on powder and lead, and it's very low pressure. It is almost identical to a twenty eight gauge in recoil. Um, but if you do this too much and you go to shooting twenty gauge factory shells in tournaments, which that's what I was doing last year. Um, I'd say right before a tournament or any important shoot, I'd say shoot those shells in your practice right before it. Um, if you got a month or two, if you don't do that many registered tournaments, yeah, definitely shoot your shoot your cheap reloads, your easy reloads. But the practice right before your shoot, whether it's a week before or the day of, shoot the shells you're going to shoot in competition. Yeah, yeah. If you're shooting seven eights practice, that's a lot of recoil still. But um, yeah, he's got a good point about shooting 
what you're going to shoot in the tournament before, obviously right beforehand. Uh, the only thing that I'll say is if you have a special load, say you shoot double A's in a tournament, maybe don't waste the double A's just because of how hard they are to find these days. Maybe just shoot another seven, eight ounce load that you can get somewhere else, like in a state or something, or federal. Personally, I like federal. I think those are the best out there, except that they stick on my gun. <laughs> yeah. So we went over this before, but you don't like shooting 17 ounce 20 gauge shells. You, sh you like three quarter ounce twenties or 28s. Tell us what, what you use for practice for competition. Whatever I can get my hands on. <laughs> Cause I don't reload. So it's like, Hey ma, what'd you make for me? So for example, you shot the world sheet last year, right? A few months ago, uh, what did you use? Your your gun, your shells. In the tournament. Yeah. Oh, well, I have my Kohler, mm -hmm. and I used. Let's see, I used double A twenty eights, and then I used uh, reloads for the four ten. Okay, so you shot twenty eight gauge in the doubles, the twelve, the twenty, and the twenty eight. A lot of 28 gauge shells. Yeah. Have you, uh, do you mention a few months ago that you have tried 20 gauge three quarter ounce shells? Yeah, I have a little 650. That's my alert load. That's the only one I'm allowed to touch. 20 gauges. And so I'm feeling uh, edgy, I guess. I go in there and I load some. It usually results in me getting chased out by my mom. What did you do? How did you break the reloader? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I'm I'm always doing all the reloading uh, for myself, but so I, I don't know that feeling. Uh, if you guys do want a, a recipe, if you are shooting twenty gauge seven eight ounce and you are reloading, um, just about any hole just about any primer try alliant 2028 which is still a pattern that's still somewhat available i use between 13.2 and 13.4 grains again of alliant 2028 the clay buster three-quarter ounce 20 gauge wad they only make two uh, 20 gauge wads there's a seven eighths ounce and then there's a three-quarter ounce one which is one we want it's green and then whatever three quarter ounces of whatever lead you want whether it's if you can get reclaimed great um i'd say if you can find nine shot save it for four tens because nine shots can be difficult to come across that's a different topic but uh i like eight and a half shot for three quarter ounce 20 and 28 gauge so that's an excellent practice shell and a tournament shell if you can't get factories but uh So you shoot three quarters in the twenties too. Uh, the last couple of years I've been uh, off and on. So early last year, that's what I was using for practice and for tournament. Then I I still have factory shells I did last year. So a practice a mistake I admitted that I was making is I was shooting three quarter ounce twenties 
And then the next week for the tournament, I was shooting factory seven eight sounds. Well, mm. I think you should be shooting if if it's the practice right before a tournament, shoot the same shell, or at least for some of the practice you should. Do you want to know about the last time this was actually related? The last time that I shot seven eight sounds twenties. I think you mentioned it, but let's hear it again. Yeah. So it was, I don't know, a couple of years. It was the last time I went to the Mid-America. It was, I don't know, four or five years ago, before the pandemic. And I, was, I hadn't shot seven, eight ounces since the world shoot. And so it was from October through, I think, the mids in May, or end of May. Mm -hmm. And so I go this whole time, I'm just shooting four tens and 28s. I go to the Mid-America, and I shoot doubles with the 20-gauge. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something, my head was rattled so bad, my brain was rolling around in my skull, I couldn't <laughs> see anything straight, and I have not shot 7 8 ounce, 4 boxes, 7 8 ounce shells since. Did, I, I have another question, did it make you have a southern accent? Because for a few seconds there, I could have swore you had a southern accent. And then my head rolled <laughs> around in my head, my brain rolled around in my head. Yeah, I try to not do that, but sometimes it comes out when I get excited. Yeah, it's, uh, but, uh, you're also, uh, it's different for everyone's different body size and body types. You may be able to shoot a one ounce shell out of a over and under just fine. It, it won't affect you that much more than a seven, eight ounce factory 20. If, for those who have uh, youth teams, those who have kids, or does, they could be uh, almost an adult, try seven eighths ounce twelves, try three quarter ounce twelves, especially if they're young. Um, a lot of the good gas operated semi autos, they will cycle three quarter ounce twelve gauge shells. You might not believe it, but I've had a, I've uh, I've had a relative yeah, uh, semi auto an A four hundred. It was the target model. It wasn't a hunting model. The target model, the Excel, the shell was 12 gauge, three quarter ounce, around 1250 feet per second. And it cycled all of them, almost 200 of them. The gun was clean, but it wasn't that clean during the last few shells. And ejection was consistent. It was reliable. And Above all, the gun was comfortable to shoot, and the and the brakes were still solid because he was putting it in the in the middle of the pattern. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, and going back, the reason why I wanted to do this extra on practice and just side rants is if we had a comment section for the podcast, or if everyone who had different thoughts wrote to us at our email skeetsocietyinfo at gmail.com love to hear from you but if we were to hear from people they would say 12 gauge pattern isn't that much wider than 20 28 uh, I could agree and I'd retort with how wide the pattern is isn't what we're talking about it's the length of the shot cloud the shot string the fish analogy that I gave earlier when we pattern shotguns, we see it on a board or a metal board, a piece of cardboard, but 
it's it's not only got a left side and a right side, it's got a a head end and a tail end. It's um it's it's three dimensional. And when we are properly matching gun speed to target speed so that they are merged, they're moving one in the same, we're putting the target in the middle of that shot cloud and smoking it, smashing it hard, regardless of the shell we're using. That's what I've That's why a lot of uh, shooters who don't shoot the sub gauges, there are more casual shooters. They're wondering how people are smoking targets on three, four, and five with the four ten. Um, they put it in the middle of the pattern. It, it didn't matter which shell they were using. And that is good. That's why, so I'm a big fan of practicing with 410. That's why I'm a big reason or a big fan of practicing with the 410. It's because, you know, you kind of have to hit it hard, uh, put it in the middle there. And so once you get into those bigger patterns, it's the same shot. It's not like, so if you're always shooting that 12 gauge, like he's been talking about this crutch, if you're always shooting your 12 gauge, you can be off and still breaking targets. Yeah. But if you're smoking them with the 410 and then you just put in a different set of tubes, it's the exact same thing. You just have a different shell. Yeah, I've, uh, what happens when a novice or a casual shooter is shooting 12 gauge and gets thin hits or weak hits, they're only breaking a few pieces. They didn't properly match gun speed to target speed um, after feeling the target into the gun. So they clip the target, they break, they crack into a few pieces. And while it all counts the same on the score card, um, they're breaking with the front end of the shot column or the back of the shot string or the side end of that cloud of lead BBs, that heavy recoil, um, they aren't putting it in the mid middle of the pattern, like what we alluded to, um, that, and also it's a deterrent 12 gauge because that heavy recoil can also negatively reinforce, uh, habits like not looking at the target as well, flinching, taking their eyes off prematurely because they are subconsciously anticipating that harsh recoil. And I've actually seen people close their eyes yeah. because of the recoil. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you're not going to break targets. Obviously you're not going to break them consistently. You might not even break them at all. So it's really, it's not worth it to take that hit and do that flinch and all that stuff when you could just be shooting lighter shells and of more quality. I was listening. I was shooting with uh, one of the older guys at a register shoot a few months ago. And uh, he picked up his gun and he made a comment. It was like, wow, that thing is so heavy with the tubes in. Well, he was shooting a brand of gun. Everyone will uh, be familiar with, but he put the tubes in. It was really light without tubes, and that's what he shot it with most of the time, 12-gauge. But he wasn't used to the weight of those tubes in, and that's a major reason, other than recoil, why people only shoot uh, with the tube set. They only shoot sub-gauges. They'll shoot 20-gauge in the 12, in the doubles, and the 20-gauge. It's uh, the feel of the gun, the weight of the gun, how it feels, how it moves, or how rather how it feels when you move it. Yeah. And that's a big, big thing. It's all, well, we've been talking about this, the feel of the gun. Mm -hmm. 
though, and I don't know, we might have talked about this before, but barrel weights that you put on, mm -hmm. I like those for if you have to take tubes completely out of your gun. I know some people who do. And if you have to do that, you have to shoot it, it makes it feel the same. That way you don't have that change and it doesn't feel off. I uh, I used to have a couple of those. Uh, before I had my current gun, I would shoot 12-gauge in the doubles in a 12-gauge event, and uh, most 30-inch barrel Riley Ultimate Ultralight tubes, they weigh around 12 ounces. Uh, it, it varies, but 12 ounces. So I thought being when I was a teenager, I'll just get an 8-ounce weight and a 4-ounce weight. I I clamped them on to my uh, over and under that I had at the time. And yeah, you are adding weight, but it's not, it's still not the same. You're talking about 30 inches, more than 30 inches if you have extended chokes running from inside the receiver, the monoblock, all the way throughout the barrel and to the tip of the muzzle as compared to barrel weights. That's the weight is isolated in a very small uh, area and it's hanging off the end rather than the feel of going through yeah it's you are adding weight it, it, and if it works for you awesome keep doing it but i stopped doing that when i got my current gun my uh current gun uh first practice it'll hit forty thousand shells um Oh. yeah and it's never been had a single 12 gauge shell fired through it and it's a 12 gauge shootable barrel I've oh I've only shot the tube set through it, and unless I decide that hey maybe I try out this bunker trap in a uh, Spanish Fork Utah, if I don't do that then I don't think I'll ever shoot twelve gauge through this gun or rather this barrel, and whether it be with how a gun handles whether it's more front heavy which if it if you are like uh, that older gentleman I mentioned with. Add some weight to the stock and you'll be amazed how uh, more uh, manageable the gun is. Yeah. Yeah. Because most Mine's don't have a two barrel set. Sorry, what was that? Mine's a little butt heavy. Yeah, you you told me how uh, how heavy your Kohler is and you've got carrier barrel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but most people don't have a two barrel set, whether it's a carrier barrel for the tubes in addition to their regular 12 gauge barrel or the ones that are less prevalent now i saw them a lot with um, the older krios the 28 28 inch uh, barrel krios is you'd have two shootable 12 gauge barrels one had weight added to it throughout the whole barrel it was a heavy barrel and then you have a regular barrel with a tube set um i, I know there are still some parazis that have some heavy heavy barrels but heavy barrels they've really I think they've mostly gone out of fashion now. Um, honestly, if I wanted to start shooting 12 gauge again, I'd get another semi-auto. You know, I shot 12 gauge this year. I shot trap and I didn't know anything about trap really. And so they said, well, just put the second barrel on your gun. I got it out of storage. It was still wrapped up in the moving stuff. And I whipped it out <laughs> and I had a box of shells and I shot, I shot three boxes with 12 gauge. I'm glad I don't do that regularly. I'd probably shoot an auto if I had to shoot 12 gauge. But it was okay for a little bit.
was your brain rolling around in your head? Yeah, a little by that last box. Yeah, a little bit of rolling going on in there. Yeah, and for those who don't know, a lot of uh, a lot of skeet shooters will shoot a instead of shooting twelve gauge through over and under, they will have a second gun, a semi-auto, a gas-operated semi-auto. That's the important part for their twelve gauge and their doubles event. Um, you you of course have the disadvantage of having to set up an entirely different second gun, which is not is never going to feel the exact same. Yeah, it's never going to feel the exact same as your as your over under because you have one less barrel, you have a longer receiver, you have um, a, a, a cycling action versus a fixed breach with the over and under. But they do that because gas autos they um, they break up that felt recoil impulse, and you feel um, the felt recoil to you is it's a lot softer. It's a it's a soft shooting gas auto, and so to them that's worth it to get that little bit extra lead, whether it's can shoot a one ounce shell or ounce and an eighth compared to their seven, eight ounce, uh, 20 gauge shell. And of course with on the subject, going back to our subject of practice here, even though we've gone into side conversations, yeah. um, that's a entirely second different gun that you have to practice with an entirely second gun that you have to carry with you to tournaments. And of course with semi-autos, they're not going to be as reliable as an over and under. So some guys will actually have to bring a second semi-auto as a backup or the second receiver to pop their stock and barrel and forend onto or parts or all the above. Yeah. And that becomes quite a hassle. It's like the people yeah. who bring. So I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but I know some people who bring a duplicate of everything that they have. So they'll have two sets of glasses, two sets of earplugs, <laughs> two sets of pouches or vests, whichever, then two guns. Well, now you're adding, if you're one of those people, you're adding two more guns to your list. And even if you just have one of everything, it's still a real hassle to pack everything. Especially I have a tiny little hybrid. I'm trying to push everything into the tiny little hybrid, it is, it's not going to fit once you add your ammo in. So you've got to be a little bit conscious of that when you're thinking about gun yes yes it is nice to shoot to 12 gauge but also it's quite a hassle yeah and if you enjoy this if you do want to shoot a semi-auto then just be you're probably aware of the downsides and the extra maintenance and yeah. extra shell gauge that you have to procure and keep in stock and practice with and carry with you um i i did i shot it I had an auto, I, I sold mine last year, but I shot it in a couple of competitions. I carried it with me on one trip and uh, that was awful, but the the auto was fun. Uh, I did enjoy it. It, was, it kind of broke up the monotony a little bit, but going forward, I'm, I'm just going to stick with my K80 and uh, I, I don't expect to see you whipping out that second barrel, Victoria. No, not on the skate field. <laughs> On the ski field. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, I uh, I think we covered all we could for practice. Um, this this second uh, episode was because we had originally we got cut off for our time limit by um, the recording application I'm using, but I'm glad we 
got in this uh, conversation on autos and 410 and uh, yeah. other practice. That was a little different than what I was expecting, but still good. Yeah. You lost me for most of the ammo stuff, though. I was like, this is over my head. I, th I think it's better to just not think about it. Um, definitely don't look at what a 410 looks like on a pattern board. It's I'd rather you set up your gun where instead of a pattern board, you're able to get consistently hard breaks with all four gauges in both barrels and singles and doubles. That's how you know it fits. Patterning, it's definitely has its place um, to make sure if you have uh, barrels that have hangers where you can change the point of impact of the bottom one relative to the top, like with uh, the Katie's, the Kohler's, some Blazers, like they're super sport. And uh, I think there are some Remington's that you can too, but uh, you can definitely check to make sure that barrels are both shooting in approximately the same spot for a certain point of impact. Um, if you're getting a stock made, like I did a, a few years ago, um, we went to the pattern board just to make sure that it wasn't off way off to the left, way off to the right. Um, so yeah, definitely pattern boards certainly have their place, but there was an article in skeet shooting review before that magazine got discontinued into what we have now, where a gentleman was quoted saying uh, more problems are created at the pattern board than solved. Mm, I can just take that. that. Yeah. Take that into account to, if you're missing the target, it's probably you. It's probably not the gun. You, you, we can stock fits important. There may be some things that are lacking, but if you, for just shooting one or two targets, you should be able to overcome that to break a target. Um, we're we're talking about shooting the same target dozens of times and breaking it in a tournament. Um, that's where you need everything to be perfect or near perfect. But if you miss one target, it's not because of the shell or the gun or because it's yeah, cold it's out. Cold. Yeah, it's it's just you. <laughs> and sometimes it is just you. And you have to kind of accept that. Yeah, that's a good place to end it. So what can we expect yeah. from you in 2024, Victoria, now that we have a minute left? Uh, same as always, I guess. How about you? Well, you didn't answer the question. What Are you still coaching? How, how much or how little are you going to be shooting? Um, I haven't thought about it yet. Oh, okay. Well, I guess. How about be, you? Uh, I'm going to try to do some more as state shoots. Um, I'm sure I'll give an update when I do that. Um, anyway, we are almost out of time. So until next time, everyone.